Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hi there, it's me, Chris Pepler again. Uh, today I want to talk about prayer, but before I do, just a disclaimer. I'm looking out at our garden at the moment and the birds are massively active, so you'll probably hear all sorts of twittering and tweeting in the background. So I hope you're bird lovers. Every now and then you might hear a terrible squawking. If you do, it's the African ibis, known as the hardy dog. Some people say these birds have got a fear of heights because when they come into land they make an awful screeching. So I do apologize for them if they do misbehave. Okay, prayer. Now, prayer is a vital part of Christian spirituality. We know that. It's a vital part of church life. Jesus taught on prayer and he modeled prayer. The early church practiced prayer. And every major Christian theologian over the past two millennia have given prominence to prayer. So prayer is something that we need to know something about and understand the practice of it. Now here in South Africa on the 22nd of April of last year, 2017, hundreds of thousands, some people say even a million Christians, converge on a farm just outside the city of Bloemfontein to pray for the nation of South Africa. I personally believe that this was a pivotal moment in our history. But why do I believe this? And why did an estimated one million Christians attend this? Do they believe and do I believe that prayer releases some unseen power and that it's amplified when we get together en masse? No, I don't believe that, and I don't think the people, most of them, who gathered, I don't think they believed that either. Rather, they were gathering to make a corporate statement, to be of one heart and one mind before God, and to cry out to Him to help our nation in our hour of need. But I think a lot of people actually do believe that there's some kind of a power in prayer. Uh, judging by the number of times I get chain letter requests in social media, please pray for my son who's very sick or whatever it is. And there seems to be this underlying assumption or belief that if we can get a lot of people agreeing with us in prayer, then something more is going to happen. So there'll be some power released in prayer. On the other hand, there seem to be an equal number of Christians who don't seem to think that prayer is important at all. They seem to lead fairly prayerless lives and certainly a lot of people don't seem to think there's any need to get together and pray corporately as a church or group of people. I mean, how many people attend the average church weekly prayer meeting? Question mark. Oh, perhaps your church doesn't have a weekly prayer meeting and that kind of says it all. So, right now, I want to briefly examine what I think are the underlying causes of these two very opposite responses to prayer, and then to sketch out what I believe prayer is and how we should pray. Okay, firstly, I hold that we should lay a lot of the prayerlessness of our day at the feet of the Reformed theologians. Now, I better explain that, otherwise all Reformed people are going to be picking up stones and hurling it at their, at their screens right now or ripping off their headphones. And let me explain to you before I even do that why I'm using the word Reformed theology. You see, I think it's the hyper-Calvinists who are the real culprits here. But the problem is 
there's been such an upsurgence of hyper-Calvinism in our day, parading under the banner of Reformed. So today you can hardly distinguish those who call themselves Reformed from those who actually are hyper-Calvinists. And I will touch a little bit on what I mean by hyper-Calvinism as I, as I take you through this. Maybe it would help if I just quoted from three reasonably representative Reformed sources concerning prayer. Now, I'm totally aware that there are many well-known Reformed theologians, such as Wayne Grudem and so on, who would not fully endorse these three statements I'm going to make now. But nevertheless, I think they are pretty representative of the kind of problem in the Reformed camp. First is a quote from an article entitled A Theology of Biblical Prayer. And I took that from a site called The Reformed Collective. The quote is as follows. Prayer is a means through which God acts. It has been established in Scripture that prayers which conform to the will of God are used by God to accomplish the most important thing that all creation serves, the will of God. Now the second quote is fairly similar, but it comes from Desiring God website, and it's under the heading of God Uses Means in an article that is written by John Piper. And John Piper writes this, In other words, just as God will see to it that his word is proclaimed as a means to saving the elect, so he will see to it that all those prayers are prayed which he has promised to respond to. Hmm. Let me quote a third source. Now this time it's from the very famous Millard Erickson. Uh, Dr. Erickson, Professor Erickson wrote a systematic theology book that I had to study, by the way, in my undergraduate studies, called Christian Theology. And this is what he says in that work. He, say, he writes, When God wills the end, and he qualifies in these cases healing, you see he's dealing with the subject of healing, he also wills the means, and then in brackets he writes, which includes a request to be healed, which in turn presupposes faith, close brackets. That is, God wills the healing in part, by willing that those in need should bring their entreaties. Thus prayer does not change what he has proposed to do. It is the means by which he accomplishes his end. It is vital then that a prayer be uttered, for without it the desired result will not come to pass. So all three of these are talking about prayer is a means to an end. God has preordained everything and he just uses prayer as a means of establishing what he's already decided will happen. Now this is very strange circular thinking, but its underlying conviction is that God has pre predetermined everything that happens. He's determined beforehand who's going to be saved, who's going to be healed. He's predetermined what I'm actually saying right now, and even down to the noise of my tummy rumbling as I'm trying to make this recording. <laughs> now, for, for folk who believe this, that prayer is just a means, uh, prayer poses a particular problem for folk who believe in what I've called meticulous determinism. You see, why then is it actually necessary? Really, if we, if we avoid all the word games, why is it necessary? And even more specifically, why did God instruct us to pray then? See, they, they, they really don't have a coherent answer to this dilemma. So they have to resort to teachings 
that prayer is simply a means God uses to achieve his predetermined purposes. And all of this dissolves into a big muddy puddle of confusion when esteemed men like Dr. Erickson resort to statements like, It is vital then that a prayer be uttered, for without it the desired result will not come to pass. So how contradictory is this? So, despite the many protestations that my Reformed brethren would be offering right now, I guess if they're listening to this, it's really hard to believe on this basis that prayer is important at all. You see, whether I like it or not, God's will is going to be done down to its finest detail if I believe in this meticulous predeterminism. And surely if I don't pray, it's because he has decided that I'm not going to pray. And so I don't have to because he'll, he's just decided that somebody else is going to pray. So why should I really bother with actually thinking about praying at all? Okay. So that might answer some of the reasons for the prayerlessness in much of the church. But in diametric opposition to this reform view, is this belief that our prayers have a power to achieve actual results? So the focus is usually here on how our prayers either release a kind of spiritual power that actually changes things materially, or how our prayers manipulate God in order that He would act according to our purposes and our desires. So again, I want to back this up by giving two quotes from a book which I read many years ago. It's called Unleashing the Power of Prayer. And it contains 30 addresses to the International Prayer Assembly for World Evangelism that met in Seoul in 1984. So it's a while ago. First quote. Prayer is how you get things done. It's not what you do or your preparation. It is prayer itself that is God's method of getting things done. How ironical. So they're saying also it's just a method that God uses, but actually it's you that causes it to happen. Second quote, prayer releases the power and authority of God. The Bible tells us, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, 18. We see that we have the capacity literally to reach into the realms of heaven and touch the very hand of God himself. Now these two quotes are, are pretty representative of most of what is written in that particular book. So, if all of this is actually true, then the more we pray, and the more people we can agree with in prayer, the more that we can achieve, with or without God's help. On the one hand, we'll just be achieving it ourselves, just by releasing some kind of spiritual energy through our prayers. And if we have a million people releasing their spiritual energy with ours, then boy, it's going to literally move great mountains, right? Or, alternatively, if we're praying, we're touching the hand of God in heaven and, and kind of as a puppet master, causing him for him to choose to actually do what we want him to do on our behalf. Mm. Now, I believe that both of these views that I've presented here are flawed and that they result in either a prayerlessness or candidly a blasphemous egocentricity really. You see, Jesus never did pray as a means of getting things done. He went out and got things done. And he didn't pray to release power, to heal. He just healed people. But rather, 
prayer for him was a way of communing with his father. And I must tell you, I'm using the word communing purposefully, you see. Because prayer is more than just communication. It is an intimate dialogue with and an experience of Almighty God. We pray because we have a relationship with the triune God. We pray because we want to be in close contact with Him. We want to tell Him how we feel and how we think. And we want to hear from Him. We pray in order to express our belief in Him. And most importantly, we pray to express our dependence upon Him. That we rely on Him and His power and His direction. But we also pray because we love Him. And we know that He loves us. We want to build a relationship with Him. Now, God instructs us to pray to Him because He loves to commune with us. He wants us to participate with Him in the affairs of His kingdom. He wants us to pray because it is good for us to realize our dependence on Him. The way I understand it, prayer is a privilege we have as sons and daughters of Almighty God. When we pray individually, we express ourselves personally and intimately. When we pray as part of a group, corporately, we express ourselves as a part of a group. And we express a a corporate will. But we also pray in order to hear. And we pray in order to align ourselves with God's heart and mind. I'm Corin. I'm Chris's daughter. Hi, Daddy. We are doing our normal Q&A about last week's post, which was, what is prayer? And you start by saying that prayer falls into two camps. Those who um, practice and believe in corporate prayer, which is, as far as I can tell, just mass prayer, and those who don't. Is that, am I correct in saying that? Okay, so that's not the major part of what I was trying to communicate. I'm trying to communicate not the two camps. I'm trying to uh, probe the... Why is prayer an issue in that there's so many people that prayer seems to be inconsequential? Mm. They don't pray and they don't really believe okay. much in it. And they don't attend prayer meetings, etc. And there's another whole group of people who think that just by praying they can actually achieve stuff. You know, if they pray something, then it's just going to okay. happen. So, and so you have these two sides, but hopefully you have a very big middle ground, which I would put myself okay. into which sees prayer as neither of those two extremes. Okay. Um, You then go on (laughs) to give three quotes from the hyper-Calvinism. Yes. um, Before throwing in the term meticulous determinism. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) In 20 or fewer words, could you explain to me what on earth that means? Yes. To determine something is to cause it to happen. And meticulous means to the very least detail. So meticulous determinism is the belief that God has decided and beforehand exactly everything that's going to happen down to the conversation we're having right now and the extremely large African (laughs) ibis that is walking (laughs) towards me and is probably going to shriek through my window. Oh dear, if he doesn't, then you're in trouble or or not. Okay, so that is believing that, and I think we spoke about this in our last um, yes. talk, which is that everything's yes, already been said and done and just get on with it sort of thing. Um, yes. Okay, so now, you know, you referred back to the huge prayer, the mass prayer gathering that we had in South Africa. Yeah. 
And yeah. I think I asked you then, and either I wasn't satisfied with your answer or my brain isn't working quite as well as it should, but my question remains the same, is why would God listen to a thousand people as much as he had listened to two or more, as much as it listened to one, as much as it listened to a million? Okay, so I'm sure it, I'm sure your brain was working just <laughs> fine. It's probably because you just didn't accept the <laughs> <Okay>. answer. <laughs> so Could be. I'll try and sharpen up the <laughs> okay. answer a little bit. So, so what I think happens when we uh, come together as a group of people, whether it's five or a million, yeah. we're starting to express a corporate idea. We are agreeing together in prayer. The Bible talks about agreeing together in prayer a number mm. of times. Jesus used that word a number yeah. of times. So when we're coming together as a group of people, we come with one heart, one mind, one purpose. Mm. And so we're saying, Lord, it's not just my little thing, feeling here. It's not just me, Chris Pepler, who's thinking about something. It's me and a million others. We, we all agree that we are so dependent on you and we are crying out to you and saying, please, Father, do something about our nation. And by the way, he's answered that prayer, you know, and he is doing some wonderful things in South mm. Africa right now. So that's the difference. A, a group of people praying with one heart, one mind, and expressing something larger than just an individual opinion or request. So are you, but that, that, that feels, uh, oh, there's your hardy da. <laughs> that feels like you have to shout at God to be heard. You know, he doesn't just take one person's prayers into account. No, look, again, um, surely, I think everybody believes that that God knows all mm. things. And he doesn't have to be told to mm. know something. And he can see, let's take the, the, the prayers for our nation. He can see the condition in our yeah. nation better than we can. He understands yeah. it fully. So he doesn't need one person or a million people to come and say, hey, you know what, there's a problem in mm. the country. So he understands all that. But what happens when a whole lot of people come together, they're saying, Father, we want to align ourselves with you, and we want you to know that we as a people, your people in this country, are so dependent upon you. And we look to you. Uh, our eyes of faith are upon you. And we are expressing this as, as a people before you. Now, it's actually more important for ourselves when we do that because we then realize that we're not alone. Hmm. That we have a, a part of something much larger. So we're encouraged. and We're encouraged to be able to come together like that to pray. Okay. So it isn't that God um, is impressed with our numbers. Hmm. It, it's that we, in fact, become stronger and more united through that and more determined to, to express our dependence upon Him and our faith in Him. As a people, not just but as individuals. That makes so much more sense to me than, you know, God just going, oh, there's a bunch of you. Okay, then I'll do it. Yes, I hadn't noticed it mm, before. Yeah. Thanks for drawing <laughs> it to my attention. Yes. I, um, I recently went, now, you, okay, so we're going back to the two camps of those who uh, believe in corporate prayer and those that believe or don't believe in prayer. And I went to a talk the other day, and it was by someone who called herself a Christian um, and she was <laughs> selling her own book which seemed to be completely based on the <laughs> secret um, and also the f apparently there's a follow up called The Magic which is an absolutely terrifying title Oops. in my opinion talking about how we must all have mood boards um, 
you know, with our future goals and aspirations on them and that sort of thing. And, you know, by doing this, we will wish things into our reality, you know, by concentrating on them, which is a very, in my opinion, a, a, a sort of way of saying, well, I'm God. So if I wish hard enough and click my, my heels together, it's going to happen. Yeah. However, the verse that she actually pointed to, which obviously I've taken out of context here, so you can <laughs> talk around it, but it was Mark 11:24, uh, which says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So her point was, ask for that Ferrari, believe you've got the Ferrari sitting outside, and the Ferrari will appear. But, but doesn't that Bible verse say similar things, although it doesn't mention makes of car? Okay, um, I'll come, I'm going to come to that Bible, that particular Bible verse, but a few words about the yeah. secret. You know, I waded my way through that and, it, and a few others like it years mm. ago. So all of that is this whole power positive thinking thing mixed with a little bit of quantum mm. science. You know, saying that at a quantum level, uh, thought actually influences the behavior of subatomic particles. Therefore, it's a model for how our thought expressed in prayer, whatever it is, will change things. So it's just a, a modern sort of 20th, 21st century take on this power of prayer thing. And of course, our thoughts do affect our words and our actions and that sort of thing, but they seem to take it to the level of... Like I was saying, you know, being God yourself, having control of your heart. Yeah, and that leads on to that title you quoted, mm. Magic, because magic defined really magic in its occult sense, not just, you know, party games. Yeah, I was I was quite horrified to hear that that was Yeah, you know, the, magic would be defined in occult circles as manipulating power. It's trying to manipulate mm. unseen forces. So mm. I've got no time with all that nonsense. Now, they yeah. quote scriptures from time to time, um, as do people who want to try and prove anything quote scriptures from time to time. And, and there lies the rub. It's easy to find a scripture which appears to line up with your particular thinking and then quote that. And so Now Jesus did say in, in Mark eleven twenty four and in other places... Uh, what you quoted about, you know, believe that you have received it, it will be received, etc. But in John yeah. 14 and John 15 and John 16 and many other places, he said, whatever you ask for in my name will be done, or I will do. Yeah. So okay. you can't quote one text in isolation from all of the others. So essentially, if you put them all together, okay. it's this. The teaching from Jesus and those who wrote the scriptures is this. We first need to determine what God's will is. In His name means according to His purposes and His authority and His desires. That's what His name implies. So first of all, we find out what that is. And we do that through prayer. We ask Him, does this line up with you, Father? Does this please you? And so on. Now once we have that assurance, we can now act in faith. Only when we have that assurance. So we then can can say, okay, Lord, we understand what you then say, that if we now ask for that, then it will be done, and we must then believe that it definitely will be answered in as much as, almost as if we can see that thing right in front of us now. Because that then is the expression of faith. So you put the whole picture together, it doesn't mean just decide you want to read Ferrari and, and say, Ferrari, I pray that you'll be there. Walk out the door and say, how come my bicycle's still standing there? 
doesn't mm. mean that at all. It means find out what mm. God's will is, be sure that it is His will, then act in faith by asking and believing Him implicitly that it shall be, and then it will be. I, I like the way you casually say, find out what God's will is. No, we know that's <laughs> one of the hardest things, but you know, you know again, the, don't forget, this is a promise which is saying, if you are praying according to His specific will, it will happen. It's not just mm. applying to every prayer. We, you know, you don't not pray because you haven't found out what God's will is. We, we talk to Him all the time about our desires mm. and the things we, we think we need and want and so on and so forth. But it's when we become conscious and sure that this really is what God wants. Then we pray that prayer of faith which says, Father, I believe that it is so. Okay. You you are going to be absolutely horrified at my naivety and wrong understanding. But I really thought that when Jesus spoke about pray about something in my name, it was in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, no, you know, um, gosh, you've put yourself right back into Sunday school. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said you're going to be horrified. No, I, you know, I know. That's, too many people seem to believe that, but no, it's not. It, and they, look... Let's take a modern-day example. Queen of England. She appoints an mm. ambassador. And uh, she says to the ambassador, yeah. go to uh, Rwanda and please tell the government that if they don't stop their nonsense, I'm going to send a bomber over and bomb them, let's say. Yeah. So the ambassador yeah. speaks in her name. He doesn't go yeah. to say to the prime minister of, you, of that country, now listen, um, I've decided to bomb you guys. He said, I must tell you, mm. the queen has said, and she has the authority to do yes. it. So, so okay. she, he speaks in her name, not in his own name. So in the name of, in scripture, always implies in the authority of and according to the direction, according to the direction and the um, command of the one who has the authority. So how would a prayer go that it is in Jesus' name? It, it, it is following God's will, that means it is. Yes, it is. So, so we, we use that circumspectly. You know, we, uh, we, when we declare something, we, we don't say, in Jesus' name let it be so, unless we really believe that He has commanded it. Mm. You know, it's not, to, not okay. to be just thrown around lightly, I, otherwise we just don't understand what we're saying. Oh, I... I really honestly thought that you had to sort of qualify, you know, by the end of your prayer who you were speaking to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, a bit of a diversion, but there's this thought mainly in traditional church circles, well, there was when I was a younger man, that when you pray, you must pray to the Father in the name of the Son mm. and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So yes. we come to the Father and we say, Father, we're coming in Jesus' name. Yeah. But Jesus turned that on its head. He said, you can pray to the Father or you can pray to me. You know, he said, it doesn't make yeah. any difference. We're one. Yeah. So we, we, we make okay. these religious formulas out of things that really sh shouldn't be so. It's ridiculous, actually, if I come to think of it. I mean, why would it be yeah, like quite. that? Well, it's, you know, we, again, I want, don't want to be too sarcastic, but I think so much of what we do, we try and make God conform to our limitations mm. and our traditions yes. and our, our way of thinking. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, that's God is unimaginable. I, you know, we can't get our heads around it, so we will try and fit him into what we can get our head yep. around. The two things that I've hope uh, that I've learned, hopefully for the good, and not <laughs> what I've just demonstrated <laughs> to you, 
is um, the first was at a, a Christian meeting where someone wanted to show a video and the video player, oh, video, listen to me, wow, the DVD player, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Um, wasn't working and, and she was uh, uh, and she sort of just conversationally went oh, you know God please just help this to, to work you know please just get this to work and then she throughout the time when we were there I'd hear her just sort of talking to God as if having a conversation and that was the first time I'd kind of heard it so out of context so not sitting quietly um, and then I just want to tell you the, the, the second thing before you, you answer sure. me, which is that, um, and I think this was probably something that you told me about being, you know, prayer is part of being in a relationship yes. with God. And if you think about God as, or Jesus as a person, a sibling, a wife, a husband, or whatever, it's all about, you know, talking to them and telling them your deepest desires and then listening to them and taking their yes. advice. So you can comment on those if you want, but I also want to know what your biggest learnings uh, are in all your many years. Okay, just a brief comment on the two. Yeah, you know, there's a book mm. that's been around for a long time and it was written a hundred and something years ago, I think. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. It was okay. by a humble monk who whose task was a menial one. He had to sort of empty out the slop buckets and things that, and scrub floors. That was his daily task. And, and he wrote this whole thing about how throughout his days talking to God, and that for him was prayer, practicing mm. the presence mm. of God. So that clearly is mm. a part of prayer. But of course, there are times when we come with such passion and earnestness, mm. you know, in times of crisis or great sadness or great joy. So it's it's both. Yes. You know, it's it's constantly talking and conversing, and it's also coming with urgency and I think that epitomizes the second point is because isn't that exactly what we do in a relationship with somebody who is important to us but who is positioned in a place of greater authority and power than us absolutely there, there's the hi how was your day and then there's the listen Please help me sit here. down we need to talk yeah exactly so so I think both those answers are right okay what are my biggest takeaways I'll, I'll be very succinct if I can the first one okay. concerns private prayer I'd say yeah. the two things that I've learned most about private prayer, it was just me talking with God, is to be honest and to be real. Just be mm. absolutely honest. How do I think? How do I feel? And absolutely real. No airs, no pretenses, no formulas, no cliches. Just, Father, this is me and this is how I feel. Now, now please won't you explain what I'm missing or, uh, you know, ex let me understand it better or whatever it is. So for private prayer, your heart anyway, honesty and prayer. reality. For group prayer, yeah. my big takeaway is being of one mind and agree with each other. Too many mm. group prayer meetings devolve into many people expressing private prayers in one venue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like popcorn. One book, up, up goes yeah. a prayer for on Maisie's toe. The next person's yeah. praying for the country. The third person's <laughs> praying for the, the orphans in Rwanda, and the third yeah. person's praying for, a, uh, for rain, for the Cape. Rain. And so on. Yeah. Now, for me, the, the big yeah. takeaway for group prayer is, when we come together, let's be of one mind, and let's agree with each other. So when we pray, if the first person is saying, look, 
thing that's mostly on my heart right now, that, that can we join together in prayer about the drought in Cape Town? And then that person mm. prays, and the next person adds to that prayer. Yeah. The prayer after that, somebody adds to, adds a scripture or whatever it is, and then they stop and they listen. You know, what is, what and is God saying? And then you've got that unification that you're talking about as well then. Yeah, so for... That unifying feeling of, of fellowship instead of this. We are one of, of one mind, one heart, yeah. in one spirit, under one Lord, in one church. Yeah. Okay. And those were my, my big takeaways. Okay. Thanks, Daddy. Okay, daughter of mine and everybody. <laughs> bye for now. Bye, bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth Is The Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.